Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. We are uh, in the middle of this series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and this morning we're talking about the mystery of the gospel being revealed. Um, really kind of like dovetails into exactly what we saw last week. In fact, if you were here last week then what we're going to be talking about this morning is going to sound very familiar to what we talked about actually last week. And so um, let's begin by revisiting for just a moment uh, chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul introduces uh, this new union between Jewish and Gentile believers. Right, he takes this, these two groups of people um, who had existed or, or had this history of mutual animosity towards one another. And he talks about how in Christ there is now this new person. There is now one person. Two have become one. It's really kind of like this, this marriage imagery to a sort, right? You think about if you've been to a wedding before where we often refer to as two deaths and a wedding, right? You have two individuals who are dying to themselves and now are being brought together in this beautiful covenant union in which they are they are one, right? Um, so, so it's really very similar to what we see going on there. Paul's talking about this in relationship between Jew-Gentile relations, right? It was, it was two groups of people, right, on very opposite ends of the spectrum. But in Christ, there is this new man that is made. There is this new creation. We even talked a little bit last week about the, the recreation act that happens through new birth, right? Um, you think about in the beginning, we see God speak, and by the power of his word, what? Like everything comes in to existence. Everything that we observe around us and in the world that we experience and, and feel, right? Smell, taste, all these things created by the Lord. They are gifts of his grace, right? And in the same way, we see that there is this new spiritual birth that is accomplished through the power of the gospel, right? New creatures. We are a new creation. As Will talked about in the beginning, right? We have value, right? The gospel draws out and, and expands exposes human value. We are new people. We are now one in Christ. Why emphasize this the way that we do? Well, because there's a lot at stake, right? At, at stake here is our understanding of the transcendent nature of the gospel. As one lives out of the power of the spirit and the new heart that Christ provides. Not only do you no longer live with disdain or disunity with this group, with said group, but now you genuinely want what is good for them. That's the, the beautiful thing that happens by way of this horizontal reconciliation made possible through the vertical reconciliation that we experience in Christ. There's this chasm, right? So the gospel says there's this chasm because of our sin between you and I and God. And yet in Christ, right, God closes the gap. He bridges the gap. He reconciles and restores our relationship with God where there was animosity and hostility. There is now this, this beautiful intimacy, that satisfies the, the heart's desire, right? All of our deepest longings satisfied in our new covenant relationship with Christ. In the same way, whereas there's this chasm between people, we see that closed. It's bridged by way of the sacrificial work of Jesus. We are now closer together in Christ than we have ever been. 
That's what Paul's talking about as he, as he unpacks this, right? And that by nature of our being close, it's not as though we are somehow strengthened in the spirit to hate our neighbor less. That's not what this looks like. Right? In fact, it, it says this, the gospel says this, that as we are reconciled to God through Christ, as we are reconciled to one another through Christ, we desire what is good for one another. Let me avoid this person, right? Because they just drive me up a wall. Now, that's not the way that it looks, right? It's not the way that the gospel works. The gospel restores relationship. Whereas there was at one time division, there is now restoration. Where there was at one time disunity, there is now unity. What does this mean? Well, it means this. It means that we are, we are actively cheering for and desiring gospel success for one another. Not, a, not avoidance, right? But leaning into and rooting for, pulling for. Look at the person next to you. Look at the people in this room with you. In Christ, we are rooting for one another. Right? We are cheering for one another. Success defined by God. Success defined by the gospel, not the world. Only the gospel heals our relationships in this way. Right? Only, only Christ heals our relationships in this way. That's Ephesians chapter 2, right? We're in chapter 3 this morning, and so that lays a groundwork for us. As we turn our attention towards chapter 3, we notice Paul shift towards intercessory prayer for Christians in Ephesus. And he does so for all of one verse. <laughs> he begins this, this idea in verse 1 before digressing to the subject of the mystery of Christ and the responsibility that he feels to make it known. Here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, Paul draws his reader's attention towards his responsibility to make known the mystery as well as its full content. Leading the Ephesians, leading his audience, leading you and I towards an appreciation of his difficult circumstance as opposed to grieving it. Now, there's a unique distinction there that we're going to unpack as we kind of wind down this morning. It really touches base right on verse 13, the last thing that Paul has to say. It's a really interesting verse, but it drives our heart to an element of application within these 13 verses. In verse 1, we see Paul setting the stage for his readers. Look there with me at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 3. Paul writes this, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Again, in verses 2 through 11 of chapter 2, Paul points towards a new identity in Christ. It's that that serves as the for this reason that Paul references in the beginning. For this reason? Oh, for what reason? Oh, for what I said all the way back in chapter 2, verses 2 through 11. Right, this new union that we spent the first four minutes expounding upon as we gather here this morning. This is what Paul's referencing to as he transitions out of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. I love the note that one 
particular commentator made on this verse, on this idea when he writes the following. He says, Paul has just revealed that a new person has been created. The miracle of new creation. The miracle of new birth. The miracle of new restored reconciled relationship. A new person composed of believing Jew and Gentile in which God's spirit dwells. That's where we kind of finished off our time last week. There's this realization that as a new creation, we are indwelt by the spirit of God. This is a, this is a transcendent concept. This is a revolutionary concept. Old Testament saints familiar with God's presence dwelling in a, in a, in a building, right? Now we see, by way of the new covenant, the finished work of Jesus, the power of the resurrection, the Spirit of God indwelling the people of God. Paul is in process of of committing himself here in verse 1 to pray for a strengthened love towards one another as the outworking of this new union. You guys are, are this new union. You are this new person. Figuring out between the way that, that, that believing Jew and believing Gentile relationship works is a new thing. Right? We're all kind of rolling with this together. And so as I transition into chapter 3, I, Paul, am beginning to expound upon my intercessory prayer for you. That you would like, exist well in this new union. Right, I'm praying that you would, you would love one another well as we're kind of trying to figure out what this looks like. It's like, like two guys who, who move in together, right? Who maybe previously didn't get along very well. What do mom and dad say? I mean, we're, we're praying for you as you move in, as you enter into this new season. Why? Well, because this is a new thing. This is a new relationship. The way that you guys interact is, is different now than it has been previously. And so Paul begins by committing himself to, to pray for this relationship. However, before he offers this prayer that we'll read about as we pick back up next week in verse 14, he breaks into the middle of the sentence and gives additional information regarding the content and recipients of the mystery. And Paul's felt responsibility to dispense it among the Gentiles. In verse 1, Paul begins a thought that he will not pick up again until verse 14. And so as we were reading through, as Stephanie so eloquently read through these first 13 verses for us from Ephesians chapter 3, if you had some, some trouble tracking, know that it's kind of because there was a shift that happened right there in the very beginning. Paul began talking about one thing, and then it was as though he went like this. But whoa, 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 let's, let's take a step back. Okay, let's digress. I'm going to introduce this idea. I'm going to introduce this concept. But before we do, I need to revisit some things. That's what Paul does as he, as he takes this break, as he takes this step back at the end of verse 1. As he affirms his authorship while sharing his suffering on their behalf. Paul writes this. He says, he says I am a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ, verse 1, on behalf of you as an apostle, teacher, and preacher to those who were at one time outside of the covenant people. 
I want us to be really clear as to what Paul is trying to do here and what Paul is doing here in verse 1. You see, Paul is in no way seeking to turn the attention toward himself. Oh, oh, by the way, let me bring up my difficulty. Let me bring up my suffering. In doing so, Paul is not saying, hey, guys, like, let's focus in on me for a second. Hey, enough about you. Now back to me, right? That's not what Paul's doing here. He's not redirecting their attention towards him. Instead, he is desiring to foster an understanding of his involvement in God's work. Gospel work. Paul's reminding his readers of gospel cost here. There's an element of what we hear from Paul in verse 1 that all the believers in the room ought to be touching base with. If you're in this room and you are considering the Christian faith, what it means to, to follow after Jesus, perhaps you have been presented with this idea that following after Christ is going to result in the obliteration of all of your issues, of all of your problems. Right, that everything is just going to begin to neatly line up and it's smooth sailing from henceforth. That's not what it looks like. And Paul makes that abundantly clear. He's, he's emphasizing that here. He's emphasizing that the gospel costs. He'll continue to unpack this idea. And so, so let's, you and I, move forward before he, he does. Paul says this. He says, I, I shared the revelation and now I am suffering because of your acceptance of it. This idea introduced in verse 1 leads us into Paul's stewardship of the gospel and its mysterious work. So we first understand, right, Paul's called into, right, his being called into gospel work, a very costly work that is resulting in great suffering as he would continue to expand upon. And then he says this, he says, let's talk for for just a moment about stewardship, Let's talk for just a moment about gospel stewardship. Look with me again at verse uh, chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. These ideas, man, they're kind of like, we just need to read them all together. So we're going to read verse 1 about four times as we progress through the text today. Okay, so, so hang with me. Back to verse 1. Paul says, for this reason, I, right, what reason? Chapter 2, verses 2 through 11, because of this new union, this new relationship. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not in any effort to to draw attention on myself, but simply to invite you into greater consideration of gospel work and cost. On behalf of you Gentiles, verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Listen to what he says here. Two very important words for you. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Gospel stewardship, the the stewardship that Paul talks about in verse 2 is the unfolding of the rich mystery of gospel implication to the Gentiles. We're going to see him talk more about this. But before we get there, we need to narrow in on this one statement that Paul makes here at the beginning of verse 2. A statement that, that brings great consideration and realization to this point that there is purpose in God's election of Paul. Paul gets this. Right? He understands God's purpose in his election. 
And it sounds like, based on what we read in verses 1, 2, and 3, like taking the gospel to the Gentiles proves central in his understanding of what that is. God has elected me for a purpose. I've been extended grace for a purpose. And taking the gospel to the Gentiles is foundational in this. Let's begin first with a consideration of God's grace given, verse 2, for at least a threefold purpose. What is accomplished by way of God's extension of grace in the life of Paul and in the life of you and I? First, the threefold purpose, this consideration of God's grace. I mean, it is, it is given first for God. And here's what we mean by this, right? That as we consider, as we consider God's extension of grace, his, his gifting of, of grace, salvific grace, what we find is that this reality serves to magnify the generosity of our Father. Gospel grace is given first for God. It magnifies for us His goodness. Gospel grace magnifies for us the generosity of our Heavenly Father. God's grace given for us, to us, magnifies His kindness and His love. And the gospel frames our understanding of who God is, right? A, a good father who does what? Well, he, he sends his son to live and, and to die in our place through his resurrection, purchasing us as his own. Right? Apart from the gospel, we are left with an incomplete understanding of who God is, right? Perhaps we grasp his holiness, but we are not able to fully, adequately comprehend his heart. The gospel magnifies the goodness and glory of God as we are made to understand just how generous he is, how kind he is, how long-suffering he is, how patient he is, how committed he is. As we hear the gospel, right? as, we, as we see the gospel at work, as we share of the gospel to others, we are made to grasp grace from one degree to the next. There's a celebration of God and rest in who he is. As we consider God's extension of grace, what does it do first? What does it accomplish first? Well, it magnifies God. It makes a ton of God, which is what we totally want to be about, making a ton of God. Not only does God's grace given to you and I, given to others, magnify who he is, but obviously as a recipient of his kindness through the suffering of Jesus, there is great personal benefit. Right? Grace is, is given as it extended for God. It magnifies who he is and it's given for us. There's great personal benefit as we are made recipients of God's grace, primarily that we know him and enjoy fellowship with him as opposed to not. Right, what's the greatest benefit of, of your of receiving of grace? Do you want to know what it is? 
Man, really simple. Here it is. Right? That you know and have God. Right? That you know him. That you enjoy fellowship with him. That is the greatest benefit. It's a primary benefit. Right? So that for the Christian, everything in this life might fall apart. And yet there is still opportunity to glory in the goodness of Christ because we know intimacy with him. We've been forgiven. Right? The gap has been, has been bridged. We know fellowship with God. God's grace is given to magnify his generosity. It's given so that you and I might experience the great personal benefit of knowing him of enjoying him, of enjoying him not only individually, but enjoying him corporately. We're doing that this morning. How encouraging is it, right? As we, as we stand here, right in front of our seats, and we, we look right upon the stage, these guys are leading us, and we're, and we're singing, we're lifting our hands, we're enjoying Christ. We enjoy, right, the, the fellowship with Christ individually, we enjoy fellowship with Christ corporately. It encourages the hearts of the saints. I don't know where you've been this week, <laughs> right? I don't know where you've been. I don't know everything that's been going on in your life, but I would imagine that there were a few curveballs. Amen? Right? A few things that we were like, dude, did not see that coming, right? Wasn't prepared, wasn't expecting, not really sure what to do. I mean, we come here and we, we corporately enjoy the finished work of Jesus together. Right? And our hearts are, are encouraged. They're lifted up. We're edified. So good, right? Finally, grace has been given for others, right? To, to steward God's grace well by sharing it, by speaking it, by heralding it. Man, what an incredible word. Let us make heralding a great word again, <laughs> okay? Like what an incredible word. God's grace given magnifies his kindness and generosity. I mean, God's, God's grace given, it draws us into great personal benefit as we enjoy fellowship with him. And we've been given God's grace so that we might steward it well, so that we might herald it. As we consider the, the whole of Paul's ministry, it becomes super clear that God has stirred his affections for the Gentiles. Paul heralding the gospel before the Gentiles, those like the Ephesians. You don't believe me? Let's look together at Romans chapter 15 where Paul further explains his heart for this particular group of people. Hang with me. This is really important and we are about to get super practical in just a moment, okay? So right now, we're just like, we're leaning into like knowledge, right? We're just like exploring the text. We're swimming around in it. We're about to get really applicable in just a moment, okay? Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 15 beginning in verse 14. Paul writes this, he says, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. To what? Well, he says in verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable 
sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God. Man, in the life of Paul, as we consider the life and ministry of Paul as is being made clear here in his letter to the Ephesians, as is supported in his letter to the Romans. It is obvious that God has has stirred his heart in a special way for this particular group of people. Go go back to verse 1, man, I'm suffering, why? Well, like because of the way in which the gospel has been communicated to you and your acceptance of it. All of this is produced and led to the suffering that I'm currently experiencing. How do we feel about that? We'll see more in verse 13. But that's where he begins. Right? Endurance of suffering and stewardship of the gospel for the sake of the glory of God being made known among the Gentiles. Are you guys with me? Are we together so far? There's a question as we consider Paul's position that I think each and every one of us in this room who who confess the name of Jesus are in need of exploring. Pen and paper in hand, ready. Notes, ready. Who has God given you grace for? Paul says in verse 1, and grace has been given to me for you. Gentiles, Ephesians. Who has God given you grace for this special affection accompanied by opportunity? I ask you to to explore the question, not without having already explored it myself. I I was thinking back on on a conversation that... um, on a conversation that my wife Courtney and I had um, around 2014, kind of about like next steps for us in life. I remember it like super vividly. We were, we were actually walking in front, of our, in front of our house on South Coleman Street right here in town, not five miles from where we sit right now. We were walking on the street and we were, we were having this, this conversation um, about like next steps. What are we doing? Right? I, was, I was on staff at a church. I was going to seminary and church planting at that point was a total formality. We knew right, as much as we could know that God was moving us this direction. But there were some questions as to where. This is a thing, but like where are we going Are we going to move? Are we going to move far? We didn't have children yet. And so like knowing that these conversations were were happening, like ready to start a family, we began to to really consider these things. We know that God has called us to plant a church. Courtney and I had these conversations while we were dating. She knew exactly what she was getting into, right? We sat down in American Pie. Do you remember this? It was incredible. And I'm like, oh, by the way, like, I love you. Let's plan a church together. And she's like, wait, what? Like, hang on a second. And so, so we knew that this is, this is happening. This is what God's doing. But where are we going? 
Is God calling us to the city? Is he calling us to Atlanta? Is he calling us out west? I mean, we had, like, we could have laid a map out and, like, pointed to these specific regions that that we're praying about, that we're considering, right? California to Oregon. Where are we going? What are we doing? If we're moving, now is the time to do that. We wanted to be obedient, no matter how scary that was, no matter how little sense it seemed to make to us or anyone around us. The more we talked about it, the more clear it became. This reality, right, that that God had stirred our hearts. That God had stirred our hearts and he had stirred them. Get this, it's important. For you. He stirred our hearts for for you and people like you, right? Here in Carrollton and Noonan, Whitesburg, Villarica, the West Georgia area. God had been super kind. Right? He'd given us a, a ton of relationships and a certain amount of influence. Pair this with a strong desire to see those on this campus and in our community know and worship Jesus. And you have the beginning of what we sit and enjoy here this morning. The question that you have to consider is this. This is all in light of Paul's statement. His being like really in touch with this. What does this look like for you? What does it look like for you? Maybe you're here this morning, you're a, you're a college student. And for you, it looks like God in this season stirring your heart for your, for your fraternity or for your sorority. Or for, your, for the club that you're a part of. Maybe it's your dorm. Maybe it's your apartment or your house. Whatever it is, it has to be this. It has to be a, a group of people who are far from Christ, who God in his providence intends to reach through you and the grace that you have received. Are we getting this? Purpose, intent in our election. Maybe you're in this room and you're kind of in this like this young professional season, right? Whatever that means. <laughs> Post-grad. Maybe you became a Christian in college. I know this part, like a large part of like what God has done in my life. Of becoming a Christian as a college student. Maybe that's you and, and God's given you a unique affection for college students. Maybe it's your department at work. You kind of consider where you are and you're like, man, I'm like two steps above a bagel courier. Man, but God has given me a ton of opportunity in this season to engage this particular people that he has stirred my affections for. Opportunity, right? And intentionality and purpose coming together in this season. God leveraging your life and your obedience for his kingdom and the name of Jesus. Maybe it's your building, right? Or those on your teaching team, people who are not at this moment worshiping our king. Who God has set his affection on. Affection whose fruit will be made visible through your laying down your life and plans and preferences for the sake of the gospel. This is what we need more of, right? 
This is what we need more of. We need willingness to lay down preference. We need willingness to lay down plan. We need passion for the gospel. We need passion for mission. This is what they, the, the, the revived heart, right? The regenerous heart, regenerate heart produces a passion for Christ, an embrace of suffering. All for the exaltation of our king. Maybe in the, you're in this room and you're a mom or dad, right? And perhaps God has given you a a unique and special love and opportunity to engage parents on your child's sports team. It kind of played this way out this way out for me this past year. Um, we signed Judah up for soccer. Whoa, whoa! And I, to be honest, I don't get a ton of opportunities to just like to just chill. Very rarely do I feel like I get to just show up and be somewhere. Anybody else kind of familiar with this? You just feel like you're, you're never just kind of there, laid back, right? Feet propped up. That's just not the way that it happens. But as I was signing up for soccer, I'm like, it's going to be incredible. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give me like a sweet, like dad chair. I'm going to tote that thing out of the soccer field, throw on my flip-flops, and I'm going to post, right? And I'm just going to post up, and I'm going to watch him. You're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. Like, that's what I'm going to do, right? Just that. Showering praise. The rest is on you, coach, right? That's not the way that it happened. I ended up coaching the team, right? Like, for those of you who didn't know the rest of the story, like, I did not get to post. I did not get to chill, and I own no dad chair. Zero dad chair at our house. That was not my preference, but it's not about my preference. Right? It's about passion for Christ and a commitment to mission. A desire to see the name of Jesus made much of. Moms or dads, man, thinking you're going to coast through this season. Know that God probably has a more focused plan for your life. And it involves your participation for the sake of his kingdom here in our community. Grandparents in the house, right? Just a few of you guys. Maybe it's one of these groups that that preceded, right? Or maybe it's some, some young person, some young guy or girl with a ton of passion, but lacking some direction, A lot of room to grow. We are not done. We're never done. We're never done. You have received grace so that you might steward it well for those that God brings into your sphere and stirs your heart for. And so I ask you again, right? Who, who is it that God has given you grace for? Let's look at verse 4. Paul writes this. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery What is it? Well, it's this, right? That the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. Does this sound familiar to chapter 2? 
Of course it does, right? It sounds very familiar. So Paul is digressing. Wait, we need to pour some more attention into this area. We need to refocus. We need to articulate this yet again. Gentiles, fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I mean, Paul has shared with the Ephesians the revelation of equality in Christ. Equality in Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles now part of the same new body, enjoying now equal standing in Jesus. This is a reality that we continue to celebrate, whether we realize it or not, every week. Do you want me to give you an illustration of this? Do you want me to provide you an example of this? Every week, we take together the Lord's Supper, don't we? We come and we, we, we unfold, right? We, we have these cloths now, right? Jacqueline, word, thank you. We unfold these cloths and we, and we take these, these, these ele- this element, right? Like this piece of bread. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing, you know what I mean? Like we're not doing anything crazy over here. Let's just be clear. Um, you, you, we take it and, 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 and enjoying it, we, right? We dip it into uh, the bowl, which is juice representative of the, of the spilt blood of Christ. And so we have the broken body of Christ and the spilt blood of Christ. And we, in obedience to the call of Christ, enjoy this together. And we remember his sacrifice for us. Now, it doesn't matter if you're here every Sunday or this is your first Sunday. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or if you've been a Christian for five minutes. When you come to this table, we all take of the same bread, don't we? It's not as though we go, hey, you know what? Like, let me get this. This will be, this will be helpful. It's not as though we go, hey, man, you know what? Like, for the, for the most faithful saints in the room, here it is. Half a loaf, right? That's not the way it happens, is it? It's not what we do. We are partakers, right? There's equality. One new man in Christ, reconciled through his broken body and his spilled blood. We're reminded of this. We're reminded of our equality. We're reminded of the finished work of Jesus. We're reminded of the sufficiency of his sacrifice to rescue us from our sins every week as we come to the table. We're, we're all at different like points, right? Like along this like journey, we're all running, right? And like some of us are maybe a little further at this point. But we're all on the same track, man. We're all running together. There is equality. Paul's emphasizing this here. Equal standing. Believing Jew and Gentile, part of the same body. This is the mystery that Paul's talking about. Right, this, is, this is the mystery made known in these days in a way that it had not to previous generations. All men, women, heirs of the promise of God through what? Through faith. I mean, through, through faith in Christ, members of the same body, verse 6, and beneficiaries of this good news, the mystery of Christ and the union he produces as he makes the invisible God visible for all. I mean, the gospel. Right, the gospel which Paul received, the revelation shared with him for their sake and for ours, law free. And the one Paul preached with his whole life, 
applicable to Gentiles as well as Jews. Right, that which had kept them apart had been fulfilled by Jesus. The revelation is the Gentile inclusion and the erasing of this former line of demarcation that separated two groups, a new comprehensive community in Christ. A new comprehensive community in Christ Jesus for all who would discard their dead gods, looking instead to the one true living God who holds his In his hands, the power of light and life. Verse 7, Paul writes, Of this gospel, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Equipping for the work, calling for the work, gifting the work, which was given me by the working of his power. It's this unifying gospel that I was made a servant of Christ for, charged to proclaim a gift from God and a duty that is accomplished with gratitude. And as believers, we are called into this duty. We are called into this work. Paul is is articulating that here. He's laying it out. He's rolling it out before the people. Right, this is the mystery, and this is the way that God has, has called me into the work, has, has graced me for the work. In his kindness, God has called Paul to serve. A gift to labor for the cause of Christ. Do we see it this way? Right? Consider Paul's circumstance. Our man's imprisoned. And yet he, he, he articulates so clearly his gratitude for the call. We can almost hear him saying it, right? Like I, I give my life for the mission of God to take the gospel out. Right, a gospel that now is at work in every believing Jew and Gentile in service to King Jesus. He continues on. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the inexhaustible riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plain And of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're seeing this plan of God laid out. A plan that existed before the foundation of the world for the election of a people who would glorify God. Making known the wisdom of God. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11. And this was according to the eternal purpose. That he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness. Where's our boldness come from? Christ. Right? In whom we have, in whom we have boldness. And, and whom provides for us access. In whom do we have access to the Father? Jesus, Christ Jesus, our King, Christ Jesus, our Lord. He who became sin for you and I, so that we might know, rest in, 
relationship with God as we gaze upon him, the power of his resurrection and the hope of his finished work. We have boldness, we have access and confidence through our faith in him. And then Paul concludes with this. This is what he says here at the very, the very end. We're drawing to a conclusion at this point, okay? He says this, he says, so I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What's Paul saying here? Let's consider the totality of Paul's statement in verses 1 through 13, and then let's draw it around what we see here in verse 13. As a gospel beneficiary, it is my responsibility, Paul states. It is my joy to make known the mystery of this new relationship in Christ that has resulted in my imprisonment. The temptation is to be disheartened. But the temptation is to grieve my imprisonment. This is what he's saying to the Ephesians. Resist temptation. Right, don't, don't grieve my imprisonment. Instead, choose to celebrate the work as it has been accomplished for your glory. Now, what an interesting encouragement that Paul rounds off this digression with before in verse 14, picking up with the statement he began in verse 1, as one commentator makes note. It might seem unusual to take glory in another's suffering. And yet this is Paul's exhortation here. Don't, 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 like, don't retreat. Instead, lean into and, and glory in. Seems strange, but there is a striking similarity to what we observe in Christ's death as we consider the benefit that you and I have experienced there. One does not specifically glory because of Christ's suffering, but rather glories because his death made possible the honor of being a new creature in Christ, right? And so we glory in the cross of Christ, not because we glory in the suffering of our king, but because of what it accomplished. Redeemed, forgiven, reconciled. We, we glory in that. We are now new creatures. In the present context, the point that, uh, that Paul is, is driving towards here is how he is indeed carrying out the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. And without his work and labor in that, the Ephesians would never have been introduced to Jesus. And without their introduction to Jesus and God's bringing about the the manifest work of his will before the foundations of the world, right? Big picture, that's a huge idea, but that's what's playing itself out here. Then Paul doesn't find himself in this current condition. Glory in this, right? Reject the temptation to retreat, Right? Reject the temptation to, to reside in complete and utter sorrow. Instead, celebrate. Because without the gospel coming to you, the mystery of this new relationship that we enjoy with God and with one another, without this mystery coming to you and without God drawing your heart by his affectionate salvific love to respond, then I am not in prison right now. Right? And so, man, we celebrate this because what does my imprisonment prove? It proves this. It proves that God is faithful. 
It proves that God is faithful to the work. It proves that God is faithful to the mission. It proves that the gospel is sufficient to stir the human heart as the spirit moves, producing repentance and and faith. The call here is to see the bigger picture and the bigger purpose of Christ. Right, to see the bigger picture and to see the bigger purpose of Christ. And so as we close out our time and we consider the ways in which we respond to what we hear here in this digression of Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. It is again this. It's very similar to what we saw last week. man. The mystery that God has made known through the apostles and the prophets. Right, the mystery that is made clear through the, the New Testament of God's reconciling earthly relationship. This reality that is observable in verse 1, that God stirs the hearts of his people, bringing together opportunity and, and influence and passion all in one like beautiful like conglomeration, right? That results in the salvation of, of sinners. Who is God stirring your heart for? What does it look like to lay down passion and preference and to pick up cause for gospel mission? To say, don't, don't feel sorry for me, right? But, but let us instead celebrate the faithfulness of God to accomplish his purpose amid suffering. Is there any greater picture than that of that than at the cross? Naturally, we don't bend this way. We just don't. We need to all come to that realization. You're sitting here and you're going, I don't want to lay down my preference. I don't want to lay down my expectation for my life or the way thing I think things ought to go. In humility, we look to Christ. And the power of the gospel to produce this position in us, right? We don't do this in and of ourselves, right? We can't accomplish this in and of ourselves. And so we come as, as needy people. We're about to, we're about to do this. Right? We're about to come as a, as a needy people to take of, of, these, of these elements that we did nothing to like bring here. As we close, I want us to, I want us to consider some of these truths. I want us to consider some of the ways in which we, we respond to what we've, what we've heard today. I want us to celebrate Christ. I want us to celebrate his finished work and his reconciliation. Let's pray together. Take a moment where you are and just let's pray. Let's pray together. Pray with the person next to you if you want to. Like, don't, don't, it's not weird. It's not weird. That's okay. Pray with the person next to you if you want to. Pray by yourself. Close your eyes. Get on your knees. As these guys prepare to come lead us, as we prepare to come to the table, just consider the ways in which, which the gospel calls us into a response. 